Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. Fermentation. If you are anything like me, I was extremely hesitant to ferment anything for years. I would ask myself, is this actually safe? Will it taste really weird? What if I hate the sourness? Do I have to go buy a bunch of those expensive fermenting crocs? I had a lot of questions. In today's episode, I'm going to dive into the most common questions and objections and concerns around fermentation, also known as lacto-fermentation, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to learn it is way easier than you think. I'm your host, Joe Winger, and this is the podcast for the Trailblazers, the mavericks, the makers, the homesteaders, the modern pioneers, and the backyard farmers. If you're ready to save more money and create more time for you and your homestead, well, this is the podcast for you. Alrighty, so if pressure canning is one of the scariest parts of this heritage cooking thing, I think that fermenting has to be the one that gets the most turned up noses, right? People are scared of pressure canning, but they're looking at fermenting going, um, gross. Like, and I say that because I was that person. I am not ashamed to admit. I always was kind of like, I just think this sounds not super appetizing. However, what I like to remind skeptics, or I reminded myself that kind of this prompted me to take that first step is that we already have fermented foods in our diet, even our modern standard American diets that are actually pretty popular and well-loved. So things like pickles or sauerkraut or even yogurt, those are all fermented foods that are considered to be a little bit more acceptable in our modern diets. And pickles, even though now a lot of the pickles we have on store shelves are pickled with vinegar, back in the day that was done with lacto-fermentation. We'll talk about the difference in that here in a minute. But it's not as far out there as you might think. So in a nutshell, in case you're still like, I don't really know what it is. Like what actually happens when we ferment something is a very, very safe way to preserve your food. And fermentation is really no more than salt, vegetables, and water. And it could be fruit too, right? And you can add extra like spices and seasonings and flavorings in there. But the essence of this is the produce, the salt, and water. You do not have to have fancy equipment. You don't have to can it. So if you've been nervous about canning or you just don't want to do the canning thing, this is a great option for you. And the biggest benefit of this whole thing is that fermented foods are ridiculously good for your gut. Like way better, I think, than the probiotics that you're going to buy at the health food store. It just they're natural. They're what our bodies have always, you know, humans have always been feeding our guts with these natural probiotics and it just makes sense. Okay. So how does it work? Cause this is the question that I always wondered. And I feel like this is the part that makes people a lot of, a lot of times nervous because they don't understand the science that's happening here. And I'm going to give you the Jill version of the science, which means it won't be super technical, but this is how I think of it. So, okay. Basically, this is why this is safe. Um, a lot of folks, they hear me talk about how careful you need to be with pressure canning. Not that it's something you should be scared of, but you do have to be wise and follow safety guidelines. 
So they hear me talk about that with pressure canning and then they come to me and go, oh, I bet fermentation, you have to be extra, extra careful, right? And I'm kind of like, well, you need to be, you know, smart and, and follow directions, but it's actually not as much of a concern as pressure canning would be. And here's why. Basically, because bad bacteria can't survive in the presence of salt while good bacteria can. Okay. And that's why we use salt when we ferment. If you think about the stories you may have heard of old timers preserving food, there was a lot of salt involved, right? Salt is a preservative, a good one. So when we have the salt in there, it keeps the bad bacteria at bay. And that allows the good bacteria that's naturally present in these foods, and it should be there, right? It starts to change the sugar in the fruit or vegetables into lactic acid. And lactic acid happens to be a natural preservative, right? So we know from canning that acid foods, we don't have to use a pressure canner. We can just put them in a water bath canner because then we have the acidic nature of those foods helping us out. And so we might be putting low acid foods in a jar, like cucumbers are not acidic, right? But when we add salt and we do the fermentation thing with them, they produce their own acid. It's kind of cool. It's kind of crazy. Isn't this like magical? I get excited over this, you guys. I need someone to get excited over this with me. Please tell me you think this is cool because it is. Um, this lactic acid also happens to be the ingredient that gives fermented foods their sour, tangy smell and flavor, right? So you know that sauerkraut has a very unique scent. Your fermented pickles are going to have a different taste and smell than your vinegar pickles. It's very unique. And lactic acid not only preserves the food by fighting off the bad, bad bacteria, it also helps preserve the natural nutrients. And that's why your lacto-fermented fermented foods are just so much better for you than other options, okay? Side note, I just feel like I need to say this because this confused me for a good long while. Sometimes folks will call fermentation lacto-fermentation. And that really threw me off for a while because I was thinking, oh, lacto, that's reminding me of dairy, lactose, right? So I'm thinking, are we putting some sort of dairy product into the vegetables to do the fermentation thing? And that's actually not at all. You can ferment dairy products, but when we call something lacto-fermented, it's just referring to the lactobacillus bacteria, which is found in the plants, and it's creating that lactic acid. So that's hopefully not too technical, but just so you know, it doesn't have to be related to dairy, although you can ferment dairy too, okay? Clear as mud, moving on. All right, so let's do a little bit of fermentation myth busting because that's always fun. I love busting some myths. All right, here are three of the most common myths around fermented foods. Number one, people will sometimes worry that it's not safe to eat stored food that wasn't canned. Now, if you are just putting some random fruit or vegetables in a jar with some water and putting the lid on and sticking it on the shelf, obviously that's not gonna last very long unless it's in the refrigerator. But because we're doing this dance with the salt and the acid that's being created when the good bacteria is doing its thing, it's actually very safe. So when you're fermenting something, it doesn't have to be canned because the bad bacteria cannot exist in the presence of salt and all those good acids. 
So that's why this is different than canning and actually a lot safer because when a fermented food goes bad, you'll know it. <laughs> It'll be rank and moldy and you're just like, eh, toss it, you know, versus the botulism that can sometimes occur in a jar of canned food that we can't always detect. That's why it's, there's a difference there. Okay, number two myth that floats around is that fermented foods always have to be refrigerated. And here's, this one's a little bit tricky because we know that people have been fermenting foods for thousands of years, long before refrigeration. And fermentation was technically born out of the this issue that there wasn't refrigerators, right? That's why my grandpa would tell me stories about his mom having vats of sauerkraut in their basement because they, you know, Great Depression, they didn't have refrigerators and that's how she was preserving the cabbage she grew. Um, so you don't have to keep it in the fridge, but you do need some sort of cool location where you can store your ferments. Because if you keep them in a, you know, warm place out in your kitchen cabinet, they continue to ferment. And eventually they'll get to the point where they're pretty darn sour, probably beyond the point where you want to eat them, just won't taste as good. So cool storage is important, but they don't necessarily have to always go in a refrigerator if you have a place in your house that, that, that works for you. All right, myth number three. This one can be super confusing, that you have to use some sort of whey, like W-H-E-Y, whey like curds and whey, or some sort of starter culture in order to ferment something. There are starter cultures you can buy and they can be nice because they give the bacteria a head start, but they are not necessary. In fact, I have never used a starter culture. I use simple sea salt and that is more than enough to keep the bacteria in balance. And I know some folks will use the whey, especially if they're worried about the sodium levels. Um, I, I just prefer not to. I just would rather use salt. So if you want to do whey fermentation, there's information on, on that online. But otherwise, I think simple sea salt is the way to go. All right, so those are the myths. It's okay to eat foods that aren't canned as long as they're fermented. It doesn't always have to be in a refrigerator. Sometimes it can be like in a root cellar or a cool, dark location. And you don't have to use whey or starter culture. Let's talk tools for a minute because this is another place where I feel like there's a lot of unknowns, um, tools. So obviously the, the old homesteaders, the pioneers, a lot of them used those beautiful classic Crocs. I have a thing for Crocs as do most people. They're very expensive in antique stores these days. They're cool, right? Now those Crocs, we often see them. They're just, they have no lid. They have no weight. So the way that those would have been used back in the day is they would have had a uh, ceramic or stoneware lid and they would have had a follower or a weight that would have fit inside and would hold the food down. And so those are often hard to find because I think they've just, they break easily. And over the years, these antique crocs just are missing those pieces. So if you have an antique croc, you can often make it work. You just need to improvise the lid or there are places like Layman's Hardware, which is a previous sponsor of mine. I love their store. They offer modern versions of these Crocs. They're beautiful. Um, they come with matching lids and you can buy the weights for them. So for me, that's a really great fit because I can easily buy the size I need and I have all the 
pieces to go with it. Now, that being said, you do not have to use a crock. They're wonderful, they're classic, but if you just wanna use glass jars instead, that is 100% okay. Um, you'll also need the salt. Let's talk salt for a minute. Sea salt is a great option. I love Redmond's Real Salt. They're the number one salt that I use. So use theirs is great or kosher salt or canning salt. The key is that you do not want to use salt with iodine in it because iodine can mess up the bacteria in your jars, right? It can kill off some of the good stuff. So make sure it's non-iodized salt. It's really, really important. Do you need an airlock? No, you don't. Um, there are a lot of airlocks on the market and maybe you've seen them before. There's all different styles. Some are just a lid with a little rubber thing that pops up and down. Some of them are a little bit bigger. Like I have some that fit into the lid of a standard size mason jar and they have this little thing that sticks up with a rubber plug and then it's really hard to explain on a podcast. I feel like I'm not being helpful here. <laughs> But anyway, what, what an airlock will do, there's a ton of different varieties. If you Google it, you'll see all different examples. But an airlock allows the gases that naturally happen as the result of fermentation, they allow the gases to go out, but air can't come in, okay? And that is sometimes helpful because there are gases produced. And if you are just using a mason jar with a regular mason jar lid, sometimes you need to burp the jar, that's actually what they call it, burp the jar, let the gases out. Um, and it also that can help with, sometimes the liquid will leak out the side. So that prevents that a little bit. Sometimes it doesn't. Airlocks are fine. I don't believe they're absolutely a necessity. So literally, if you want to start with a mason jar, a quart jar is great, or a half gallon jar is great. If that's what you want to start with, that should be absolutely sufficient to begin your first fermentation adventure that way. Uh, what else would you maybe need? A weight. Sometimes folks like to buy little glass weights to keep the food down under the brine. You can buy that or you can improvise. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I think we're going to do a second episode where I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of sauerkraut and how to make your brines and how to ferment the actual vegetables. I don't want to do too much information just thrown at you in one episode. So this is kind of more of our bird's eye view of fermentation, and then I'll have a follow-up that's all the details of sauerkraut and all its fermented friends. So you need a jar, if you're just going bare bones, you need a mason jar with a lid, a glass jar, not a plastic one, some sort of glass jar. You need salt that is non-iodized, and you need some vegetables. Now, what kind of vegetables are good for fermentation. Really, almost anything can be fermented, but firm vegetables are the best. So think things like carrots, cabbage, obviously sauerkraut, right? Beets, cucumbers, radishes, garlic. They're all firm. Now, when I say firm, that's different than things like greens, right? Greens are, I just think that would be super gross. They get soft anyway when you ferment them it'd probably turn into something super slimy right so softer vegetables and greens aren't aren't great um what else oh asparagus would be a great candidate 
there's lots, there's lots of vegetables that are going to be really good fermented. And once you get the hang of the formula and the, the technique, it's really the same, right? So whether I am fermenting cucumbers to make pickles, or I am fermenting carrot sticks or beet slices or sauerkraut, really the technique's the same. We chop the vegetable, we put it in a jar and make sure it's underneath a brine solution and brine is just salt and water. And then I will put it on my counter for anywhere from seven to 14 days. You can go longer if you want and let it ferment. And then I put it into cold storage and that's really it. So it doesn't have to heat up your kitchen. It doesn't require you to buy a pressure canner. It's pretty cool. It's, it's really cool. So, okay. My last question here that I wanted to address is how fermentation is different than pickling because this confused me for a while. I think I've said that a lot in this episode. This confused me. This confused me. I was confused over fermentation for a number of years. Not anymore though. It's my friend now. Okay. So when most people refer to pickles, right? We hear just pickles referenced all the time. They're referring to cucumbers that have been prepared in vinegar. That is our standard run-of-the-mill modern day pickle. It has vinegar in it. However, pickling as a whole, like a general term, actually is referring to a way to preserve food in some sort of acid. So sometimes that acid is vinegar. Sometimes it's lactic acid. So pickling can be used to describe fermented foods or otherwise. So it's just another type of pickling, or excuse me, fermentation is just another type of pickling method. Instead of vinegar, the acidic medium is the lactic acid. And the biggest difference between vinegar pickled and fermented foods is the nutritional value. Now, I am not against pickling with vinegar. I still do it. I like the taste of it. But I always remember that my vinegar pickles don't have the same probiotics and enzymes that I have in my fermented pickles, right? They're tangy, they're sour, but they're not quite the same. So again, nothing wrong with vinegar pickles, just different. And if you're looking for the probiotic benefit, you won't get it with the vinegar. And the other little thing to remember is sometimes there are things on the store shelves that are marketed as fermented foods. And you have to be really careful because sometimes those have been heated or packaged under pressure, which does destroy the nutrients, right? So if you have a jar of sauerkraut from the grocery store, it's fine. You can use it, but it has been cooked in order to put it in the jar and be shelf stable. So it's not going to have the same probiotic benefit, which is just another reason it's so awesome to make it at home. You can control the tang, the flavors, the add-ins that you put in there. Um, and you get all the probiotic punch. Now, that's not to say you can't find true fermented foods in the refrigerator section of the grocery store, like usually more your health food stores, your Whole Foods, your Trader Joe's might have those options. They're usually a little more expensive, right? So they often are in the refrigerated section. In fact, they almost always will be in the refrigerated section to keep the fermenting process to a minimum. So they're not like exploding jars in the grocery store. They're a little more expensive. So there's nothing wrong with those, but man, if you can do it yourself, why not? Right. Especially if you're gardening, if you get a couple small harvests, we had a podcast episode recently, we talked about micro harvests, 
fermentation is a great way to handle those. You get a handful of cucumbers or carrots, you put them in a jar with some brine, away you go. You got some fermented stuff happening and so darn good for your gut. So as promised, I will do a follow-up episode where I will give you more of the nitty gritty of how to create a brine, how to make the sauerkraut, how to do all those things. Um, we'll also do some troubleshooting because there's some common stuff that'll come up. But for today, I encourage you to explore what could you ferment? What do you have in your fridge right now, in your garden, uh, your local farmer's market that would be a good candidate for fermentation? Maybe start gathering your jars and your lids and you'll be ready to go for next episode. By the way, if you are loving this idea of an old-fashioned kitchen with these cool old foods like sauerkraut or fermented pickles and all the trimmings, I have a whole ebook that I have packed full of my very best tricks for cooking and eating like a farmer, even if you live in the city. And you can grab the whole thing for free over at www.heritagekitchenhandbook.com. Thanks for being here, friends. That's all I have for you today. I hope that was helpful, answered some of your fermentation questions. It's a really cool skill to have. It's right up there with bacon bread and making sourdough. If this episode was helpful to you, I would love it if you could take a screenshot of it and post it over on Instagram. Give me a tag or hey, maybe tag me in your first fermentation adventure. I love to reshare your posts, see what you've been up to and how this podcast has been inspiring to you. Thank you so much for listening and we will catch up again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.